We meet today in Isaiah chapter 52 and chapter 53. In these two chapters, we are looking at the invitation to the redeemed nation of Israel. We are also looking at the institution of the kingdom of Israel, the introduction of the suffering servant, and the suffering of the Savior, finally the satisfaction of the Savior. As we have been moving through the book of Isaiah, we have seen in the shadows or in the background the servant of the Lord. Now as we approach chapter 53, we will see very clearly that the servant of the Lord is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. The theme of God's deliverance for his people now reaches its greatest expression in the servant of the Lord who will suffer for the sins of his people. The prophet foresees the millennium when Jerusalem will once again be the holy city and the uncircumcised and unclean, referring to the unrighteous people, will no longer enter the gates of Jerusalem. First, let us have a look at the invitation to the redeemed remnant of Israel. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Isaiah 52, verse 1. Here Zion is actually the high point in the city of Jerusalem. It was David's favorite spot. Now blessing is going to come upon Jerusalem and it will no longer be an unattractive place. You see, Christ will redeem this physical universe, which now is groaning and travailing together in pain. All the world will become a beautiful spot because of the redemption in Christ Jesus. He will redeem our bodies, we will get new bodies, and when this has taken place, all creation will be redeemed. Redemption is not only of the person, but of the property. So we see here a type of redemption that God permitted in the Mosaic law, which serves as an illustration of it. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bones of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Isaiah 52 verse 2. Now, in Jerusalem, in Zion, today the Arab is there. All the sacred spots in Israel are covered with churches. Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, and the Church of All Nations. They are all over the place. And you see, Jerusalem needs to be released from religion. It does not have a relationship with the Lord, but it is crippled by religion. It needs to be turned loose from the sin and the low degree of civilizations that are there right now. Release is coming someday, and it will come during the millennial period. For 2,600 years, that city has been captive and trodden down by the Gentiles. But the day is coming when the shackles of slavery will be removed from the city of Jerusalem, from the land of Israel. Thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Isaiah 52 verse 3 
You see, since God received nothing from those who took his holy city captive, he will give nothing in return. He will take it from them and restore it again. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Isaiah 52 verse 4 We are once again reminded that Jacob went down to Egypt by invitation, but his children were made slaves there in Egypt. The Assyrians and others likewise have oppressed the children of Israel. That will end when the millennium period begins. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Isaiah 52 verse 5. Here God is mentioning and strengthening his point here. He received no gain from the years of his people's rejection. Therefore, he says, My people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Isaiah 52 verse 6. You see, my friend, the world has rejected Christ. It doesn't know him. But one day he will say to the Christ-rejecting world, Here I am, and it will be too late then for the multitudes who have rejected him to turn back to him. It is high time that you turn to the Lord now while his grace is still outstretched to you. We move on to the institution of the kingdom of Israel. Isaiah 52 verse 9 says, Break forth into joy, sing together, you west places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. Now, my friend, one of the things you will note about the present-day Jerusalem is the lack of a song of joy or a joyful song in that city. It is even true of the churches that are there. I went to the Wailing War, and wailing is what I found at the Wailing War. Wailing is what I had. Even today, the Jews are actually knocking their heads against the Wailing War. But in the Millennial Kingdom, everybody is going to have fun. They will break forth into joy, and they will sing together. It will be a joyous time. Then we move to the introduction of the suffering servant of the Lord. My friend, somebody will have to travail if you are going to rejoice at a birth, a new birth and a new world. Therefore, we have here the suffering of the servant. Before the new birth has come, somebody has to go through the birth pangs. And so the suffering servant comes here. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Isaiah 52 verse 13. Now the verbs exalted, extolled, and be very high tell the story of the servant's exaltation to God's right hand in resurrection and ascension. Now from politics to business, men today have not dealt prudently with the Lord. 
have not dealt prudently with anyone, but when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, he will deal prudently. You see, this is the picture we have of the millennial kingdom. Now we see the suffering servant of the Lord. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Isaiah 52 verse 14. Well, this is the picture of the crucifixion of Christ. And this statement prepares the way for chapter 53. You see, my friend, the world was unprepared and astonished to see in its crucified deliverer, one who had no outward show of grandeur, no display of charisma, and one who was so cruelly disfigured during his experience on the cross. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouth at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Isaiah 52, verse 15. Before this suffering servant, the nations of the world are rendered speechless as they observe this almost unbelievable demonstration of God's love. They stand in reverent awe before the divine Son of God who loved them so much and gave himself for them. These are they who were not the people of God, but the Gentiles. But again, all of them are welcome. My friend, this is a natural way to prepare us for the profound mystery of the next marvelous chapter, Isaiah 53. Those who are acquainted with the word of God realize that Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 actually give us a more vivid account of the crucifixion of Christ than is found elsewhere in the word of God. In the prophecies of the servant of the Lord, we see there the presentation of both all Israel as well as an individual Messiah who ministers to Israel and who atones for the sins of the Gentiles. In this passage, we see the personal Messiah who alone can atone for sin. His message is rejected according to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1. His person is refused in verse 2 and his mission is misunderstood in verse 3. Nevertheless, his vicarious suffering would bring atonement between God and man. Verse 4 to verse 6. And the Though he would suffer death, according to verse 7, and a burial, he would ultimately be exalted as king. Chapter 53, verse 10 to verse 12. Actually, Caesar says the result of the seventh suffering was that the seed would possess the nations for their tent would be enlarged, the ropes lengthened, and the pegs driven even deeper. That is even going further into chapter 54, verse 2 to verse 3. Yahweh, or the Lord Jehovah, would then be the God of the whole earth. Now, with this in mind, let us look at the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 opens with the Enigmatic inquiry here. Who has believed our report? 
and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see, the prophet seems to be registering a complaint here because his message is not believed. When God called this man Isaiah back in chapter 6, he told him, you are going to get a message that the people won't hear. When you tell them my words, they won't believe you. That certainly was Isaiah's experience. Many people did not listen to him. That is the same experience even today. Many people frown and disregard the message of the cross. God's messengers have not been welcomed with open arms by the world. The prophets have been stoned and the message unheeded. That's still true today. Who has believed our report? Well, my friend, it must be remembered that God does not use men's methods and ways to accomplish his things. God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty and the foolish things to confound the wise. If we were to call in a specialist today in a time of illness, what would we do? We would certainly not expect him to use the same home remedies that we normally use when we are on our own. His procedure might appear foolish to us, but we would follow it faithfully because he is a specialist. Then, should we not accord to God the same dealings of fairness as we do to the specialist? Why do we trust the specialist more than we trust our God? Isaiah enlarges upon his first question by asking further, To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Well, Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Well, the word handiwork here is literally fingerwork. When God created the heavens and the earth, it was without effort. He merely spoke them into existence. When he rested on the seventh day, he wasn't tired. He had just finished everything. It was completed. But when God redeemed man, you see, my friend, it required his bad arm, for salvation was his greatest undertaking. In terms of creation, he spoke the word. The world came into existence. In terms of redemption, he used his bad arm. He required the strong arm of the Lord. In fact, Jesus Christ suffered the death on the cross. Now we have brought before us here the person of Christ and we are told something of his origin on the human side, the one who comes to bring salvation. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53 verse 2 well, the prophet here points to the unostentatious and humble beginnings of the servant of the Lord. The first clause is God's view of Jesus Christ, and the second is man's view of the servant. You see, Christ was a root out of a dry ground. This means that at the time of his birth, the birth of Christ, the human family of David had been cut off from the kingship. He came from a noble family that was cut off from a nation that had become a vassal to Rome. 
in a day and age that was decadent. It was humanly impossible for his day and generation to produce him. But he came nevertheless, for he came forth from God. And now the prophet focuses our attention immediately upon the suffering and the death on the cross. He has no form or comeliness. Comeliness might be translated the word majesty. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You see, Christ's suffering was so intense that he became drawn and misshapen. The cross was not a pretty thing. It was an absolutely repulsive to view. So his suffering was unspeakable. His death was horrible. He endured what no other human being endured. He did not even look human after the ordeal of the cross. As we saw in the previous chapter, he was a mass of unsightly flesh because of the persecution and the torture of the cross. Naturally, therefore, we are eager to learn why his death was different and horrible. What is the meaning of the depth of his suffering? Isaiah 53 verse 4 tells us, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was smitten by God and afflicted. You see, the prophet was so afraid that you and I would miss that he mentioned it three times. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put on him grief. Now, consternations filled our souls when we recognized that it was God the Father who actually treated the perfect man in such a horrible fashion. And we have all questions that come. Why? Why? We don't feel easy. But listen to the prophet as he goes. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 verse 5 to verse 6. Well, the phrase, by his stripes we are healed, may cause questions in your mind. Of what are we healed? Well, we are healed of physical diseases. Are we healed of that? Is that the primary meaning? Well, that may be what we come across is what God might even do. But that's not the primary meaning of the verse. I'm going to let Simon Peter interpret this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First Peter 2 verse 24 says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Healed of what? Peter makes it quite clear that we are healed of our trespasses and sins. Now notice that marvelous sixth verse. It begins with all and it also ends with all. All we like sheep have gone astray. Not some of us, but all of us. What is really the problem with many kind, my friend? What is your basic and my basic problem? It is stated in this clause. 
we have turned everyone to his own way. That is our problem today. Man has gone his way, neglecting God's way. And the scriptures further say, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14 verse 12. Although our Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. In John 14 verse 6, we have turned everyone to his own way. That is our problem. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the opening and the closing of verse 6 with all. Isaiah is making it clear here that Christ died on the cross. When he died there, he was merely taking our place, your place and my place. He had done nothing amiss. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from the sinners. He was the substitute whom the love of God provided for the salvation of you and me. And so the Savior brings satisfaction. At this point now, let me quote verse 3, which speaks of Christ's grief. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That is verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 53. Christ here is identified as a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. In verse 4 it says that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Notice that it was our sorrows and our griefs that he bore. He had no grief or sorrow of his own. He was supremely happy in his mission here upon the earth. In fact, in the epistles to the Hebrews, it is said of him, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Hebrews 12 verse 2 Well, these pictures that show him looking long-faced and very solemn misrepresent him when we see people try to paint pictures of the Lord. Even on the cross, Christ joyfully took our place. He made that cross an altar upon which he offered a satisfactory payment for the penalty of our sins. Willingly he died there. For verse 7 we read, Like a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he did not open his mouth. Isaiah 53 verse 11 tells us, He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, and my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. We have a living and a rejoicing Savior, my friends, for his suffering led to satisfaction. He took our hell that we might have his heaven. He is happy, for down through the ages multitudes, yes, millions, have come to him and found sweet release from guilt pardon for wrongdoing and healing from the leprosy of sin. Christ said there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents, and that number can be multiplied by millions, my friend. Think of the joy and the satisfaction of Christ today. We have a happy Christ, a joyful Christ, and it is going to be fun to be in his presence one day. You can bring added joy to his heart by accepting the gift of eternal life. 
that he longs to give you, my friend. He is not asking you to do anything. He wants to give you something. It is for him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Romans 4 verse 5. That means all you have to do is to accept him right where you are. He invites you to the foot of the cross where you will find forgiveness for your sins. What a joy. What a glory. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.